This morning, I'm just going to get started laying down a new principle. And that's why I've entitled this message, The Beginning of a New Way of Living. And that's what we need in America today, folks. We don't need an improvement. We need a new way of living. And it's especially true in American Christianity. Uh, we need a new way. We've all heard the statistic, and I know you've heard it now for years, that over 50% of marriages end in divorce. But what really troubles me is that there used to be a great gap between that statistic regarding the culture at large and Bible-believing Christians. But unfortunately today, that gap is closed. And when it comes to the rate of marriage and divorce uh, in the, between the church and the world, there really isn't a great deal of difference. And I'm concerned about that today. And one of the things that concerns me, and I'm, I'm careful in even getting into this because someone could take me wrong and misunderstand what I'm trying to say, but at the same time I feel compelled to say it. I'm troubled today that the average pastor has become more of a counselor than a preacher of the Word of God. And I can remember when this change began, as I've shared with you before, every day of my life has been spent in a pastor's home. Now, I've been pastoring myself now for 25 years. When I was a freshman in college, I remember taking a, an elementary course in counseling. And the first line of the textbook on the first day of class said, any pastor who is not a counselor is only half a pastor. And I do know that there is a role of counseling that perhaps a pastor has. But first and foremost, the job of a pastor is to preach the Word of God. And I'm not blaming people for coming in for counseling. I think the fact that a lot of pastors today have become counselors instead of preachers, I think that's what's led to a lot of the problems in the church today. Pastors have not preached the Word of God. And people are getting their lives in trouble, and then they get into this curative aspect uh, of church ministry. And again, I don't want to give you the wrong idea. If you need counseling, and people do, we have a, we have, we have a staff available for that. Uh, but I just want to say something to all of us today. I don't think the answer to the problems in modern homes and marriages, I don't think the answer is found, as I said last week, in behavior modification. Behavior modification is just learning a new way of conduct so that you can improve your life. But I, I'm convinced, and you may think I'm a throwback this morning, but the longer I live, the more I think preachers need to get off the counseling chair and stand up in the pulpit and preach the unchanging Word of God, which has the power to transform lives. I'm excited this summer because God has set my heart ablaze, anew and afresh, with the reality that there is a power available to the Christian and to the Christian home that goes beyond behavior modification. And that is the power of absolute transformation. There is a, listen to me, please. There is the possibility in Jesus Christ in the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is the possibility for your life and your marriage and your family and your children to have an absolute transformation. That's why I say it is too early to give up. It is too early to give up. Why do people give up? I, I think it goes back, and we talked about counseling. And again, I'm not against counseling, and I do it, I still do it. And, and I do think it serves a purpose. But I think one of the problems with thinking that counseling is going to solve problems is that people assess each other uh, and their strengths in a marriage and a family relationship. A husband assesses a wife and says, I don't think she's ever going to change. I might as well give up. And I don't know how many times I've heard a wife say, my husband is going to be the same no matter what. I think I'm just going to give up. Or my kids are never going to change. I'm just going to give up. See, that's the whole problem. We have discounted the possibility of transformation and we look at the members of our family and we evaluate their strength. And if we evaluate them and we don't think they have the strength to change, that's where, that's where people give up. 
And I just want to say to you this morning, if you still have your marriage and if you still have your family, it is too early to give up. Don't give up yet. You say, Pastor, I, I think it's too late. We've tried it all. We've been to, to counselors. We've been to seminars. We've been to marriage retreats and marriage weekends. And I listen to Christian radio and I buy Christian books, but nothing ever changes. Let me ask you a question. Have you tried spirit-filled family living yet? Have you tried being filled with the Spirit of God? Last week, we began the new series. We got over to the book of Ephesians chapter, chapters 5 and 6. And in those chapters, we saw the prototype of a godly home. God spells out for us what a good home, a Christian home, a powerful home looks like. It begins with a man who loves his wife. He loves his wife so much that he loves her as much as he loves himself. And then that's not enough because the Bible says he loves his wife in the same way that Jesus loved the church. Now, when you think about what Jesus Christ did for us, we've been singing about it all morning. When you think about how much Jesus loved us and what he did for us, that's what the husband is to be like. So in, a, in, in the godly home, in the prototypical home from the word of God, the husband loves his wife. And then the wife yields her heart to her husband. And the children are obedient and honoring of their parents, respectful. And then we have parents who do not exasperate their children, but bring them up in love-based teaching. That's what a godly home looks like. But if you were here last Sunday, do you remember the title of the sermon? Don't try this at home, boys and girls. What I had said to you last week is that you cannot have the kind of home that the Bible talks about without the filling of the Spirit of God. Now, listen, church, here's my question. I know that some of you may be uh, new to the faith or maybe you have not even, even accepted Jesus Christ yet. I praise God for you being here today and, 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 I, and I have so much to say to you. But for a moment, I want to talk to many of you who have been Christians for many years, especially some of you who are husbands and wives and moms and dads, maybe even grew up in church. You've been saved for many, many years. You've even been a member of Sia Baptist Church. I have a question for you. Have you ever thought, have you ever considered... The Holy Spirit coming in great power upon your home and your marriage and your children so that suddenly you have a power for living that you did not have before. Have you even entertained that possibility? My guess is that the average Christian has never even thought about that. And maybe that's where the devil is getting us. You know, listen, church, we can have a great service here at Messiah as we often do. What do we say when, we, when we're on the way out? You know, we're in the car, leaving the parking lot. That takes a long time, amen? And, and, uh, or, or you go to the restaurant, or you sit down at home. What, what, what is it that we say to each other after we've had a great service? And man, it's wonderful when God comes and works in a great way. And, and uh, when, when you have two services like this, and it really is exciting, and you go home and you say, what do we say? We say, oh, the Holy Spirit of God met with us in great power today. We look at each other and say that. Wasn't it great? Did, wasn't it wonderful the way the Holy Spirit met with us in great power. And that's exactly right. But let me ask you a question. If it's true that we say, wow, wasn't it great the way the Holy Spirit met with us today at church? When was the last time before you cradled your head on your pillow at night that you said, wow, wasn't it great the way the Holy Spirit came and met with us at home today? When was the last time you said that? See, I think that would be totally abnormal in the average Christian's vocabulary. We say, wasn't it great how the Holy Spirit met with us at church? We should say that. But you see, I'm convinced that what should shock us is totally biblical to talk that way. Because when we read about the filling of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, it's not in the context of the church service, it's in the context of the home. 
Husbands loving their wives, wives submitting to their husbands, children obeying their parents, parents not exasperating their children. So what I want to ask you once again, have you ever thought about the Holy Spirit coming in great power upon your home and your marriage and your children so that suddenly you have a power for living that you did not have before? Again, I'm not against counseling. I think it serves a purpose. But counseling teaches you what to do within your own power. This is how you can change your behavior. This is how you can change your thinking. This is how you can change the way you talk. That's okay. That has some benefit. But even a lost person can experience that. I'm asking you, have you even considered or entertained the possibility that an external force, an external power, the Holy Spirit of God could come upon your home, come upon your marriage, come upon your family in such a way that all of you have a power for living that is not generated by you as an individual. I want you to think about something. When Jesus got through with his earthly ministry and he was getting ready to go back to heaven, you would think, think about this for a moment. The disciples had been with him for three years. They had observed everything he did. They had listened to all his words. They had been taught by Jesus. You would have thought Jesus would have said, and by the way, if, if, if it had gone like it goes in the average church today, the conversation would have gone something like this. Okay, fellas, I've been teaching you for three years. You've heard me. You've watched me. You've, you've observed what I've done. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and take the things I've taught you and use them. I, I've been here and now it's your turn. I'm turning things over to you. If that's the way the principle worked, the way it works in the average church, Jesus would say, I've taught you. Now you go out and do what I have taught you to do. You go out and do what you've seen me do. I say that today because in the average church, we have the idea that if we can just learn the right things, we can be the right kind of people. I love teaching. That's what I'm doing right now. I like to listen to teaching. I like to listen to preaching. And I enjoy the ministry that God has given me of teaching. But beloved, I want to tell you something. You will not be an overcoming Christian just because you've learned the right stuff. Our churches are filled all across America with people that are saturated with teaching, but they do not have the power for living that transforms. Now, you would have thought Jesus would have said, okay, fellas, you've watched me. Now you go out and do the best you can do. But he didn't. Here's what he said in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Think about that. After three years of being with Jesus, Jesus didn't say, now you fellows rush out and do what you've seen me do. He said, you wait until you have power from on high. Let me read you a paraphrase. And now I will send the Holy Spirit upon you, just as my father promised. Don't begin telling others yet. Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. In other words, listen, are we getting the message today? Teaching was not enough. Knowing the right stuff was not enough. You say, Pastor, I've been at Messiah for many years. And, and you could say, I've even sat under your preaching for 17 years. And I appreciate your patience and your kindness. But who am I? I mean, these guys had listened to Jesus for three years. You know, John the Baptist said that he wasn't fit to untie Jesus' shoes. I'm not even fit to untie John the Baptist's shoes. These guys had been with the master. They had seen him. They had listened to him. They had watched him. But what did Jesus say? He said, wait until you're empowered from on high. And let me ask you, what happened when the Holy Spirit came? What happened to these guys, these disciples? They were transformed. They weren't the same guys 
that they had been before. Somebody could say, well, Pastor Hoover, Pentecost was a one-time thing and and the Spirit of God was coming in in a different way. I want to tell you something. I understand the history of the church, but I also understand the principle here. These guys have been taught by Jesus. Jesus said, you're not ready to go out. You wait until you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And I am telling you, you can listen to teaching. You can read books. You can go up and down this country to every seminar that every good man, every good woman teaches. But when it's all said and done, knowing the right stuff won't make you the right kind of person. There must be a power that you do not have. And that's what we need today. I mean, when these guys had the power of the Holy Spirit, they were not the same. Read Acts chapter 2. When Peter preached at Pentecost, after a while, the, the people who watched these things, they said, who are these guys? And some said they're drunk. They're filled with new wine. Why? Because they were transformed. And church, I want to say to us today, that is what we are desperately needing today. We need some transformation. If you came here to this series for improvement, maybe you'll get a little improvement, but that's not my goal. If all that I knew was going to happen with you attending this series is you walked out and you were slightly improved, I will feel like I have wasted my summer and you will have wasted your time. But it's possible, I am promising you, it is possible for you and me to be absolutely transformed by the truth that we're going to have. And that's what we need. You say, Pastor, that's for me. I do need to be transformed. My marriage needs to be transformed. My relationship with my children or my parents needs to be transformed. Well, before that can happen, there's just one thing. Before your marriage and family can be filled with the Spirit of God, listen, you must relinquish control. You must relinquish control. Now, listen, Messiah, I'm just going to tell you something. When I begin, whenever, whenever the Holy Spirit begins to work in my life in a great way, bringing some of this truth to me, I have to share it. Poor Chet has already heard today's sermon about 20 times. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, full, I'm full of the Word of God, and I, can't, I talk to everybody I can talk to about it. And on top of that, I have pastor friends who call me from all over the country, and I call them, and, and I chat with them and other Christian friends. And I begin to share with them what God was leading me to preach Uh, concerning spirit-filled family living. And I have to tell you that I got somewhat of an interesting response, even from some mature Christians and even some fellow preachers. That response was, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, but in essence, it was, you have to be careful about that kind of preaching. I was amazed at how many people encouraged me to be cautious with the Holy Spirit. And there were people who'd say, well, you have to be careful because that kind of thing can be taken too far. Now, I started to wonder about that. You go over to the book of John chapter 14. Jesus is preaching his own funeral. In effect, that's the night of his arrest. And he is comforting his disciples. That's a text where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Scan down through that chapter. You get to verse 16. He said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. That he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You know, the Greeks had two words for the word another, A-N-O-T-H-E-R, our English word. One word was heteros. It means another of a different kind. We use that with the word heterosexual, heterogenous. The other Greek word for another is the word alon or alas, which means another of the same kind. Jesus said, follows, I am going away. But I am sending you another comforter, 
The word there is alas. Jesus is saying, I'm going away, but I am going to send you another one who is just like me. And unlike me. Christ was only here for three years. Jesus said, this other one will be with you. And not only will he be with you, he will be in you. And he will abide with you forever. Now let me ask you a question. Considering that on the introduction of Jesus, that this person, this Holy Spirit, is just like Jesus. That's because he is God. And not only that, he lives with us and in us and guides us and empowers us for a new way of living. I am open to correction. I always try to be open to correction. So will somebody please help me with how we can overestimate the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Would somebody please explain to me why I need to be cautious with that person that Jesus left here to do his work. I'm going to lay it on the line, church. I think many Christians are cautious about the Holy Spirit, not because they are afraid of going charismatic. There are a lot of people who are cautious about the Holy Spirit because they don't want to lose control. See, I think we we well understand that if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, He takes the wheel. He operates the accelerator. He operates the brake. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, you and I are not in control anymore. And I am convinced that the average Baptist in America is on the throne of his life and he likes it just fine that way. He listens to who he wants to listen to on the radio. He goes to the class he likes to go to. He attends the Bible study he wants to attend. He evaluates church. You know why? Because the average Baptist is a gatekeeper for God. He'll let God in here. He'll let God in there. But when it comes to God having total control, I would say to you, the average church member in America does not want that. And see, here's the thing. And I'm being honest with you because I've been down the same road. What happens in a lot of our lives is we learn the jargon of Christianity before we have the reality and we talk the talk, but our lives are not filled with the power that God intended for us to live life with. And we may look like Christians, we may talk like Christians, and indeed we may be born again, but when it comes to living, overcoming lives, We're not because we want to be the gatekeeper. We want to be on the throne of our lives. And God, folks, is not fooled. And I'll go a step further. I don't even think we fool each other. I mean, I think we look at each other. If God is not not in control of our lives, I think we even know that about each other. Now, the sermon this morning is the beginning of a new way of living. And I just want to say to all of us today, we cannot make a new start until we understand that our lives... And our families must be yielded to the will of the Holy Spirit. Now, that, at this point, this, this is a break point. Because some of you may look at this and say, I don't, want, I don't want that. I want my wife to be what I want her to be. I want my husband to be what I want him to be. I want my kids to be stamped out just like I want them to be. And uh, I, I, I want my family to be what I want. Now, if that's the case, then I don't know, I don't know how to help you. And I guess you're going to be locked into trying to improve as you go along. But for those of you who would say, Pastor, I want this power for living that you're talking about today, then the first thing that you have to do is to understand that your life and your family must be yielded to the will of the Spirit of God. Now, here's the thing. You ready for a new way of living? You ready to see the principle? We're going to introduce it today, but here is the principle. If you want to see the beginning of a new way of living, 
Here we go. I was convicted several months ago about this series, Spirit-Filled Family Living, actually almost a year ago. And I, I will tell you, I'm a very practical person when it comes to spiritual things. By the way, I'll say something. After preaching this book for many years and studying it even longer, I have come to believe that this book makes very good sense. It makes very good sense. If preachers will just get out of the way, it makes very good sense. So when I study the word of God and God convicts my heart about a theme that he wants me to bring to you, I always ask the question, now, Lord, how does it work on a practical level? Because I have to stand up before these people and you are the greatest people in the world to preach to. It's always been, you've always received the word of God with humility all these years that at least I've been here. And so what I, what I feel when I preach is you're sitting out there saying, okay, pastor, I want to do what God wants me to do. Now tell me how it works. And so I go before the Holy Spirit and I say, Lord, you have to show me this practically. I really do believe in spirit-filled family living. Yes, I believe that there is a power outside of us that can act upon our marriages and our families and our children. But how does it work on a practical level? And you may think me hyper-spiritual, but I could take you out to the place out here on 21st Street. I was driving. I was begging God. I said, God, you've got to show me this. When just that quickly, the Holy Spirit brought Scripture to my mind. I know it was the Holy Spirit because, A, I hadn't thought about this in a long time, and B, I'm being very honest with you. I'm not even sure that I understood fully the principle that I'm going to share with you. But just that quick, the scripture came to my heart and I said, yes, Lord, that is it. That is the practical principle of spirit-filled family living. You ready for it? I'm going to give you this verse today and I'm going to give it to you two weeks from today. I'll be gone next week, but I'll, I'll catch this up in two weeks. And then after, I'm going to give you this verse over and over until we get it. Here it is. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, like I say, we're just going to get started with this principle. We're going to get acquainted today. But what do we need to know about the scripture that we've just seen in order to begin Spirit-filled family living? Here's the first thing. From that text, we learn that the child of God has two natures or two internal forces. The Bible talks about sowing to the spirit and sowing to the flesh. Those are the two natures that each one of us as children of God have within us. What is the flesh? We read about this all throughout the New Testament. Listen, church, the flesh is the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam, which is predisposed towards sinfulness. No matter who you are, you have what the Bible calls the flesh. doesn't mean your skin. It's this internal nature that is already bent toward doing wrong. Just like no one has to teach a person to lie. No one has to teach a person to be uh, dishonest. No one has to teach us to get mad. We have this fallen nature that we inherited from Adam. That's the flesh. Now, what did Paul say about the flesh? Galatians 6, 8 again. The one who sows to please his sinful nature... From that nature will reap destruction. If you sow the seeds of your life to the flesh, the result will be destruction and death. Now hang on to that. I'll get right back to it in just a moment. But that's the first nature you have. You have the flesh. That is the old Adamic nature that you inherited from Adam that is predisposed towards sin. When you got saved, just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit of God moved in. That second nature is a person. The Spirit of God lives within you. So that now you have two forces struggling within you for domination and control. Now, I want you to hear once again what the Bible says in our principal verse, Galatians 6, verse 8. 
The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, church, here's the key to starting your marriage over. Here's the key to starting the relationship with your kids over again. Here is the key to a new beginning. I know it sounds simple for some of you. You may walk away from this and just say it's too simple for me. But here is the key. Listen, we must learn to recognize every thought and action as a sown seed that will become part of a future harvest. Every thought you think, every action that you that you live out, every attitude that you hold is a seed that will bring forth a harvest. Husband, every word you say to your wife is a seed. Wife, every word you say to your husband is a seed. Parents, every word you say to your children is a seed. See, I don't think most people think that way. Most people are just dealing with the moment, not recognizing future consequences. I think we, in the average home, what happens? People get up, they just want to get through the day. They just want to get through the day and still be married at the end of the day. They just want to go through life without, without a disaster happening between them and their kids. Or even in a good home, just go through the day. And we kind of take life as it comes. What we need to understand is that every thought, every action, every word, everything we do in the context of our family is a seed. A husband loses his temper with his wife and he says, it'll blow over. She knows how I am. And when it's over, he thinks it's over. A wife throws an insult at her husband and and she says, he knows I wasn't serious. It's just me. A father makes a deliberate choice to indulge himself at the expense of spending time with his kids. He says, It's just one afternoon. And it's true. It is just one word. It is just one afternoon. But it's a seed. It's a seed. And there will be a harvest. And the word of God is very clear. Sowing to the flesh results in death. That means every time that I give in to the flesh, there is going to be death that's going to result. I have sown a seed that's going to bring a harvest of death. On the flip side and the good side, sowing to the Spirit of God results in life. Every time you or I sow a seed that is in accordance with the will of God and the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we have just dropped a seed in the ground that is going to bring forth a harvest of life. I preached all morning to get to one thought. I started this message by reminding you of how pandemic divorces in America... And I'm always very careful here because I know that many of you have suffered through divorces that were not of your own making. You were a victim. You didn't want the marriage to end. And I'm always so careful because I would do nothing to add to your pain. And nor would I want to make you feel guilty for a tragedy that you would have done anything to avert. But I do need to be very honest with you and blunt and frank. And I also want to talk to you in very simple terms. What is the issue with a divorce? And anybody's divorce. And I know that there are preliminary issues. But what is the final ultimate issue in a divorce? Someone or both people are saying, I got the wrong person. Right? I mean, you know, that's a divorce. Somebody's getting rid of somebody. So the ultimate attitude of a divorce is, 
Someone or both people are saying, I got the wrong person. Somehow in the six billion people in the world, I don't know how it happened, but I got the wrong person. I got the wrong mate. And millions who will never go to divorce court will stick it out because of their faith or for the children's sake. But in their hearts, even though they're going to stick it out, they're saying, I got the wrong guy. I don't know how I did it. I wish I had gotten somebody else. I wish I had gotten anybody else. But I got the wrong guy. Or I got the wrong woman. How did it happen to me? I got the wrong person. Now, whatever else leads up to a divorce, essentially, that has to be the attitude at the end. I got the wrong person. And as pastor, I've had people come into my office many, many times with things going all awry in their marriages. And they would say to me, Pastor, I just got the wrong guy. I married the wrong person. I married the wrong woman. I married the wrong man. And now I want out. I got the wrong person. Let me ask you a question. Is it that? Or is it something else? Could it be that you're having a bad crop? Could it be that you're having a bad harvest? Somebody or both has been dropping seeds of the flesh in the ground. And now we have a harvest of death. See, I think that's the case. I I just think Satan is blinded. Most people, they don't realize that. I got the wrong person. I married the wrong guy. I married a jerk. If I'd married a Prince Charming, I'd be okay. But where are the preachers who will stand in the pulpit and say, no, it's not that you married the wrong person. Somebody has been dropping the seeds of the flesh in the ground and now we got a bad harvest. Well, this is for everybody, whether you're married or single, elderly or young. Because I'm not just talking about marriage and family, I'm talking about all aspects of life. No matter who you are, you can take a snapshot of your life today as it exists. And I want you to know The snapshot of your life today is just the result of the seed you have sown. Whatever is going on in your life right now is a harvest. If you sow, this is the principle, and I'll be preaching it, so if you don't get it all today, come on back in two weeks, and we'll crank this thing up again. But when you sow to the flesh, you reap death. When you sow to the Spirit, you reap life. So whatever's going on in your life, if you have a life that's filled with life, then you've been sowing spiritual seed. If you have a life that's filled with death, you've been sowing fleshly seed. And I just think that many, many Christian homes, good people, men and women who love Jesus Christ, born-again men, born-again women, are having tough times, not because they married the wrong person. They just got a bad harvest going on. Is that you? And I think with many of us, it's a mixed harvest. Amen? We have some good seed growing. We have some bad seed growing. Somebody could say, Pastor, I I have a bad harvest going on. What do I do? Well, I'm going to be preaching throughout the summer to answer that question. But I want to give you four things today. If you're having a bad harvest, I want to give you four ways. Like I've said, it's not too late. You've got time. If your family's still together, if your marriage is still together, and even if not, in your own life, you still have time. Let me give you four things to get you started today. Here's number one. Make a decision to believe God. Folks, I'm, gonna tell you, I'm not a smart man. You know that. I am not an intellectual. I am an ordinary guy preaching a super ordinary book. 
And this truth that I am bringing to you will transform your life. It's not because of me. It's because it's God. It's God's word. See, the world says, change your behavior, change, modify your behavior, learn to see how one person can get what he wants and, the, and she can get what she wants. And hopefully you can pull things together and learn to live with each other without killing each other. That's what the world says. But the word of God says you can change. You can be absolutely transformed. You start by making a decision to believe God's word. I am going to believe and trust the word of God. That's where it starts. I choose to believe God. You, you say, Pastor, why do, you, why do you stress that this morning? Because here's the thing. If you and I are going to be successes in this area, many times we're going to have to go contrary to our feelings. So when you have to go contrary to your feelings, you better have, you, you, you better, you, you better have a chart, you better have a guide, and that guide is the Word of God. You choose to believe the Word of God. When all your feeling, feelings are screaming at you that you ought to get out of the marriage and run away as fast as you can, you choose to believe God. Number two, start, excuse me, number two, stop dropping bad seed in the soil of your life. Stop dropping the bad seed. You know what happens in many church services like this? We get under conviction and somebody says, oh man, Pastor Early stepped all over my toes today. Oh man, I feel bad. Man, that's terrible. And oh, I just felt so convicted today. Hey, don't, I'd trade all that for just stopping sowing bad seed. Just stop. I mean, make, make, a, make a point today. And, and, and if you feel convicted, I, I praise God for that. I'm not trying to make light of that. But I'm just saying it's a lot better to be just, just to be practical and say, by the grace of God, on this day, in the year June 2002, I'm going to stop dropping bad seed in the soil. See, every time I, and I'm just, I'll make this personal. Every time I react in the flesh with my family, with my wife, with my children, I am dropping bad seed in the ground. I'm going to see that seed again. The smartest thing I can do is to stop dropping bad seed. Just say, by the grace of God, I'm through with that. Number three, start sowing spiritual seed. What is spiritual seed? We'll be seeing this time and time again. But spiritual seed is that action that thought, that attitude that the Holy Spirit leads us in. Every time I'm obedient to the Holy Spirit, every time I act with love, every time I act with kindness, every time I act with grace, every time I sacrifice my will for the good of my family, you know what I'm doing? I'm dropping a seed of life in the ground. And I'm going to see that seed again. And you know what? If I drop enough of those good seeds in the ground, there's going to be a good harvest someday. And I know I'll have a good marriage, not because I'm a great guy, but praise God, I have a good marriage because I've been dropping spiritual seed in the ground. Now I have a good harvest. So what do you do? Number one, make a conscious decision to believe God. Number two, stop sowing bad seed. Number three, start sowing spiritual seed. And here's number four. Here's the challenging one. If you switch seed during a bad harvest, hang on till the new crop comes in. <laughs> I'm like you, so I kind of know how we react in sermons like this. Somebody's sitting back there taking notes today saying, praise God, I have got it now. (laughs) And and I'd be the same way, because it's great truth, amen? I mean, this is great truth. So you sit in a service like this and say, praise God, I've got it now. We're going to go home by 6 o'clock tonight. We're going to have this overcoming spiritual family. Well, it could happen. But, but probably what's going to happen is you're going to be six hours down the road of sowing new seed. Here's what's more likely to happen. 
Because I really think this is the kind of sermon that you respond to individually. I think couples can respond to it, but probably it's going to be in your own heart individually. You're going to go home and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to stop sowing bad seed. I'm going to start sowing good seed. But you know what's going to happen? You're still going to be in the middle of a bad harvest. And you're going to say, what's going on here? I've stopped dropping bad seed. I'm starting to sow good seed, but I'm not having a good harvest. What do you do? You hold on because you live out that bad harvest. And by the grace of God, those fresh plants begin to come up. And it isn't going to be long before God will bring a good harvest in your life. But you have to hold on. That's where faith comes in. You have to hold on. And I will tell you, God keeps his word. God's word is true. God will not break his word. His promises are sure. He that sows to the flesh will reap death, but he that sows to the spirit will reap life. That's what I want in my life. I have the greatest marriage I know about, but that's what I want in my marriage. That's what I want with my kids. I have to tell you, I think one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this series is it's been so, it's been so blessing in my life. And I believe it'll work in your life because it is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word that you've allowed us to experience today. And now, oh God, I pray that you would transform us. May we be different people in our marriages. May we be different people with our children. God, would you give us a new relationship with our spouses, a new relationship with our children. And Father, I know even today I preach to some who've gone through some deep heartbreak. Many have gone through a breakup of a home and family. Father, give them the assurance that you're still on the throne of their lives and you will still make this principle work somehow. And God, I just pray for all of us that you give us the wisdom to believe you, to take you at your word. And those of us, Father, who are dropping bad seed in the ground, I pray that we'll stop it today. That the Holy Spirit would convict us before we say that unkind word. That the Holy Spirit would convict us before we do that thing that would drop a bad seed in the ground. And oh Lord, may we start, may we start by being spiritual people. And then Father, I pray for those who are going to have to hang on for a while through a bad harvest even though they've switched seed. And now, God, come and work in our hearts. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. I need this as much as anyone here today. All of us need what we have learned today. And now, God, work in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet today? This is a time of invitation. You may be here today and you don't know for sure you're going to heaven. I'll be right here. If, if you want to know how to be sure, please come meet me here. Maybe God has led someone here to be a part of this church family and you're coming today to unite with this church. I'll be right there to meet you.